strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks again for being here. Good news in the Arizona economy on a couple of fronts. Arizona, one of the top commercial real estate markets in the United States, along with housing prices continuing to be on the increase slightly, which means, you know, we have averted. There were a lot of people, experts, saying that there were four markets in the country where where residential real estate was going to see a little bit of an uptick and then it was going to see a crash. And there were two in California, one in the San Jose, Northern California area, I believe San Diego and Southern California, Austin, Texas, and the Metro Phoenix area. We call it the Valley. And so far that's been averted, which is very good news for homeowners here. And we, uh, But we have seen a softening of the market, which is good for home buyers. Now we know interest rates are all over the place. They were up, they were back down. They are not directly affected. Home mortgage rates are not directly affected by Fed rate increases. Although we do know that they follow in some way, but we have seen a drop. We've seen people shopping more for homes. The Dow is down again today. Um, S&P is up a couple of points. So it's kind of a mixed day on Wall Street. But the expectation that we may see a recession, part of what's happening in the United States and the concerns from a lot of the American people is about deficit spending. And I will tell you, and I get this from people a lot, as soon as I start talking about it, it becomes political. And I will tell you, it's always political because Congress, you know, the House especially, the House holds the purse strings. But much to my dismay and some of the, the dismay of some of my friends, um, we have seen that the Republicans have been as guilty of spending um, overspending as when we accuse the other side of the aisle of, of and I say we because I'm a Republican. And it's disheartening to see that we have got this kind of abuse with the, the uprising now of using earmarks again, Republicans in great numbers using earmarks, which is just overspending with lack of oversight. It's just a bad way to do business. We talked with Congressman Schweikert about this recently. He's on the Ways and Means Committee. And the other thing that I question is the is an audit. Um, responsible companies know where their money goes. And when your company gets too big, you have to hire people around you that you trust. Wealthy people, and I know a few, wealthy people have accountants that handle their money. But they also will hire an independent auditor to audit their accountants to make sure that the accountants are doing their job. Not necessarily so that they're not stealing, but to make sure that they're doing their job, that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. We don't seem to have, although we We have uh, agencies that have oversight. We don't happen to see much oversight. I saw another story today that completely disconnected from the economy that the Pentagon – that there was a, a watchdog group that's talking about the huge number of arms that we're sending into Ukraine that um, it is – impossible to prevent some of those weapons from falling into the wrong hands. And they used Afghanistan as a model saying that, you know, there was not much oversight by the Pentagon. We didn't know where our weapons and equipment were necessarily going. It's inefficient. And so in this case, it was weapons. But you look at the budgets and you look at billions and billions of dollars of equipment that the Pentagon can't uh, account for. Again, you're not going to find anybody that is more pro-military, more supportive of the men and women that defend this country than me. But that doesn't mean that we should be throwing money at a problem or throwing money at an issue without any inclination about oversight. I say that because there's a fight brewing. We keep arguing about Social Security in this country. We know that Social Security and Medicare, Medicaid spending are the reason why we have such huge debts in this country and something has to get done. 
And it doesn't matter which political party is in power. The other one says you're going to crush Medicare and Medicaid. The accusations that Republicans want to get rid of Social Security and money, it's just a fantasy. It's not true. But here's what is true. A bipartisan group of senators is talking about raising the retirement age on Social Security. Now, we know that over the years, because of medical advancements and everything else, people have been living longer, although that fell back a little bit during COVID because so many older people were the ones that were most seriously affected, including deaths, when it came to COVID-19. But now this bipartisan group of senators is looking at changing the age and other options on the table, including changing the existing formula for calculating monthly benefits from one based on workers' average earnings over 35 years to a different formula that's based instead on the number of years spent working and paying into Social Security. I bring this up because we have to make we have to keep our commitments to the people that have paid into this system forever. I'm one of them. I'm in one of those areas. I, I'm, I'm part of that age group that's been talking about for the better part of a decade, maybe more, that we're concerned that Social Security won't be there because it's going to go broke by the time we get there. And if they keep bumping the age up, will I ever get there? I mean, I'm 55. I'm almost 56 years old. Am I going to get to that age? Are they going to keep bumping it up so it's always out of my reach? But in the end, we have to look at how we are preparing people for later in life. Are there better alternatives? So can we drop can we drop the um, political rancor where anytime a Republican talks about revamping a system or doing something different, giving someone an option? I have now I have young grandchildren. My kids are in the prime of their working lives, and my grandchildren are either elementary school age or close to elementary school age. So they've got a ways to go before they enter the workforce. But if you were to say, you know, do I want my kids to have the same Social Security system I have, precarious as it is, changing as it always does? Or would I rather have a conversation with people, not about privatizing Social Security, but allowing families to opt into a different plan where you can say, I'm not going to take from the Social Security system, but that's because it's a part of being the community that we are, um, I still have to have that money taken out of my account out of my you know my pay throughout my life and it's going to be put in based on you know just like with social security how much is withheld from your account up to the how much money you earn whether i think it's $107,000 a year whatever it is when you max out for what's withdrawn from your account that based on that that money is set aside and you have an opportunity to put it somewhere else of your control You can't borrow against it. You can't do that like you would a 401k, but it truly is like Social Security, except it's an investment as opposed to going into the government. I don't know how well that would work, but I can tell you that a lot of people would be a lot more interested in having that conversation than they would having the conversation of how we're doing things now. And all I'm saying is we have to look at options of what we do next, because once again, we keep arguing about how Republicans want to kill Social Security. Social Security is dying. Social Security, they keep keep upping the age for retirement. They keep doing all of these things and make it harder and harder for people that have worked their whole lives. If there's a better way to take care of people in their retirement years, why couldn't we have a rational bipartisan discussion on it? Instead of this political uh, hatchet job that always says as soon as you bring something like this up, you're trying to kill Social Security. 
And that's just not the, not the case. Just not the case. Um, I want to shift gears back to the topic of election integrity because the report from the former attorney general's office by the current attorney general's office has had a lot of people talking about what happened and was there really a stolen election. And so there are still very many people at the state legislature that believe the election was stolen. And I want to talk a little bit more about the accusations and what's really happening. We'll do all of that next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks again for being here. Um, Arizona investigators say lawmakers who pushed election fraud claims had scant evidence. That's an Arizona Republic story. Um, this is deeper than the politics that uh, I will just I want to speak personally for a moment. Um, I watched the rift. I was a part of it. I was a part of the divide in the Republican Party and the vitriol and the anger that happened in the fallout. When you feel like you've been betrayed by someone close to you or somebody on your camp, it's worse than finding out that someone that you didn't expect anything from doesn't like you or does something that you don't agree with. There is a level of that that happens in everyone. So I I kind of get it. But I was one of the voices that spoke out early and said, I don't believe the election was stolen in 2020. I have a number of reasons, which I didn't get into because I just didn't want to rub salt in the wounds of an already big fight that was going on within my political party of what was happening. I've maintained – and these these are not just words. I mean I've maintained a respect because a lot of the people that I found myself on the opposite side of the argument from – were people that I have been standing shoulder to shoulder with on issues for the better part of two decades. And so I can't say I lost respect for them because I didn't. I just disagreed with them. Um, And I was hoping, and for the most part it stayed true, um, I was hoping that they would maintain respect for me. And um, that's not easy. It's not easy because there are many people uh, doing what I do. They expect you to be a voice for them. They believe that you're someone that is a voice for them. Well, when you disagree with them, they feel betrayed. And it's not just me because I'm on the radio. It's just in general. When there were people on the right side of the aisle that said the election's over in 2020, we have to move on to 2022. It was, I think, the right message. I still believe it was the right message. But it also conjured up a lot of anger in some people that firmly believed. And, you know, the the labels and the predetermined ideas, the stereotypes are really interesting to me because I know – and you may not believe this, but I know some very um, a lot of very reasonable people that firmly believe that the election in 2020 and in 2022 were stolen. That there were um, there were a lot of things that were done wrong, and many of them were done intentionally. Now I'd, I've never subscribed to that, but I know a lot of reasonable people that do. And to categorize those people as all tinfoil hat conspiracy hat, the, you know, conspiracy theorists is the wrong thing to do because what we automatically do is we look at the idiots who put up YouTube videos and show up at people's houses and make demands and we look at them and we say, well, that's what they're all like. And that's just not true. There are just a lot of people out there that can't control their anger even as, as adults and they do stupid things. But we found out in the report that was released from the previous 
attorney general's office that there was no evidence. Uh, we had state legislators that are still doing this. And I'll tell you, um, you know, uh, when it comes to some of them, Sonny Borelli being one of them, um, I had Sonny in studio recently. I should say Senator Borelli, but I had him in studio recently. He's a guy I've known for a long time. We aren't very close friends, but I know him and I've got a lot of respect for him. I really do. I like him very much and I have a lot of respect for him. He came in studio. We had a great conversation about some things that were not on the topic of election integrity. We cracked a couple of jokes about it, even though we're on opposite sides. But that's what adults do. They have a conversation. I don't agree with Sonny Borelli on the stolen election claims. But when given an opportunity, when multiple members of the state legislature, whether it was Mark Fincham or Wendy Rogers or Sonny Borelli, when given an opportunity to bring their evidence to a friendly ear in the attorney general's office, they didn't. And so that has to make people ask, why didn't you? If you've got evidence, you now have a group of people where you can shine light on this. And it just didn't happen. And so there's a difference between what you believe happened and what you can prove happened. And so they can know in their heart of hearts that there was something scandalous that happened in 2020 and or 2022. But it's obvious now that it can't be proven. It's obviously it's obvious now that there is no proof that you can point people to. You have to dive in like many people on that side of the argument dove in. You have to dive in and you have to believe a lot of things for that to have happened. I'm going over this again because I want to see us move on together, not apart, together. And I mean, as an electorate, Republicans and Democrats, the stone throwing with someone you disagree with. I, I was uh, when I was in New York, I sat next to a woman on a panel uh, when I was on CNN that despises Republicans. And I'm one of them. And she was sitting right next to me. And she has such a seething anger toward Republicans. She couldn't control herself. She was friendly to me during commercial breaks, but during segments of the show, there was such seething anger, especially toward Trump supporting Republicans, that she couldn't control herself. I made a comment about Republicans not being stupid, and she rolled her eyes, sitting right next to me. I had to say it a second time, Republicans aren't stupid. But you are the opposite side of the same radical coin. You hate Trump supporters that are angry in the January 6th stuff, and you hate people that uh, MAGA and it's racist and it's angry. And you're on the opposite side of the coin, rolling your eyes and calling Republicans stupid. So that's the stuff that needs to be defeated on both sides of the aisle, disagreeing without disparaging. And when it comes to election integrity – There is no proof. There has been no proof. So what do we do? How do we move on to 2024? And now I'm going to speak as a Republican. When you see what's happening with the economy, the war with Ukraine, what China is doing, our southern border, all of the issues that are important to people, this now big push across the country for school choice. When you see these movements that are voting very, very well for Republicans in a lot of areas, why are we not capitalizing on that at the ballot box? Instead, we're fighting about elections that happened in 2020 and 2022. We have got to look forward and not backwards. And I just hope we do. I just hope that's what happens. Uh, Coming up in a moment, 
There's some good news in Arizona education. There is a school in Queen Creek with an A-plus rating. We're going to talk about what they're doing and what other schools could follow next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, some good news. Jack Barnes Elementary School in Queen Creek has been given an A-plus School of Excellence Award by the Arizona Education Foundation, one of only 36 schools in the entire state to receive the designation and the only one in Queen Creek. So when we see success, I've mentioned this so many times, um, when you watch successful organizations, they get copied, not their product necessarily, but their model. And when Chick-fil-A became so successful, people are looking at that business model and what are they doing differently than other fast food places in the quality of food and the quality of service that have people circling that lot uh, in some place. When I go home to Florida, it's a little bit different than the ones I've been to here, but there's a line, two people around the building. When you look at coffee, when you look at Dutch Bros, look at the line at a Dutch Bros around the valley and people want to know what are they doing that would make loyal customers line up. Where What is their model of excellence? Uh, I've talked about this from my generation of being such a football fan. Uh, Buddy Ryan and the, and the Chicago Bears in 1985 that were just uh, – seemed to be an unstoppable defense. When you look at the uh, – was it the 2000 or 2001, the, um, the uh, Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens and that Ray Lewis defense, which was even better than the Bears defense in the mid-1980s. But that 46-zone defense that, that Buddy Ryan came up with and if you're not a big football person I'm sorry but it was the idea was it was so successful that within the next year or so people were trying to copy what they were doing and implement it with their players and make it make it a way that it was similar and Buddy Ryan had so many people that came out from his program that went on to be great coordinators and you look at what happens um, with Bill Belichick and they talk about the coaching tree of Bill Belichick and what's come out of that it's because when someone is successful others look at that success and they try to model their program. Not exactly. They don't duplicate it, but they try to model it after them. I don't understand with the greatness in, you know, whether it's the basis schools or this school in Arizona, why public education and private education and charter schools and whatever it is, why they don't look at what's working and say, what are they doing that's working? We talked about uh, out in Buckeye how they they have seen such great increases in math skills and reading skills. If you're an educator, and what I mean by that, if you're a superintendent, if you're someone that is buying curriculum, implementing curriculum, if you are a teacher, why are you not looking at what's successful and saying, what are they doing and what can I take from it? Um. If you look at the success that Deion Sanders is having in coaching college football, he talks about being old school. And you know what? You see these kids gravitate to it. He went from Jackson State to Colorado. And he went in there and he told these kids, you're going to be respectful. You're not going to dress sloppy on campus. You're going to open the doors for women. You're going to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. You are going to treat people with respect. You are going to be great ambassadors of this football team. You are going to work hard. You're going to play hard, and we're going to win. And if that's not what you want to do, get out. And he's got five-star athletes, blue-chip athletes coming to his school. He's never been a Division One head coach before. 
But when you look at what works and what's successful and people want to follow success, hard to argue with what Coach Prime is doing in Colorado. When we look at our school system, we have been stuck in the same system for a long time. And the problem is, and I understand the human nature part of it, is that people get stuck. People get stuck in the way they do things and then their livelihood depends on it. When you look at our teachers' unions, and they're not really unions, but the teacher organizations, um, they are stuck in a system that their livelihood depends on. And they are frantically trying to, to save an antiquated system. And I will tell you it's failing faster than they can keep up with. Changes are coming across this country. Arkansas, Oklahoma, um, I think Wyoming is working on this, or Montana working on a, on a plan right now of more school choice. Arizona led the way. Texas is going to do it. You're going to see other states move to this school choice model, and what it's going to do is it's going to force competition. Now, there were complaints. There were some parents of special needs children that complained about the voucher system in Arizona saying that it's been it's not been handled the right way. Now, how true that is, I don't know. But there are parents that are complaining. There are parents that just don't like the system and they're going to complain about it no matter what. They're not going to give it a chance. It's a brand new system. They're not going to let the kinks get worked out. They're going to condemn it from the day it starts. But in the end, when the parents want it, they're going to get it. When you look at a school like this in Queen Creek, it's the only school in Queen Creek. Queen Creek is not a big town, but they're also focused in the East Valley. If you look at this, they're focused on their children. If you look in the East Valley at the investment in parks and things for families and for kids, they have made it a destination for families. And if you've got one school that's A-plus rated in Queen Creek, I can't imagine that other schools aren't going to reach out and find out how and what they're doing. In the end, we all want the same thing, excellence. But when it gets to a point that we demand it is when things change. I'll go back to my Coach Prime, the, the Deion Sanders analogy. He walked into a program that hasn't had a winning season in a very long time in a major university. Colorado was a big school. And he walked into that first meeting with that team and said, we're going to win. With or without you, we're going to win. Hit the transfer portal if you want to leave, but this is the way I run my program. And we are going to win, and we're going to win now. We, and he kept saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. And it's changing to the phrase, we're coming. Now, we'll see how successful he is there, but he is already setting a standard of we're not going to win in a few years. We're going to win now. When you instill that in someone, when you demand excellence, you'd be surprised at how quickly people rise to the occasion. I was just watching over the weekend. I don't know why, but I was watching a lot of documentaries about the Navy SEALs and the formation of, of the Navy SEALs and how they expanded from two units, two teams to seven teams and beyond that over the years and what they've done. And I was watching their training regiment, what they have, something called Hell Week and it's just to weed out the people that don't want to be there. They give you every reason in the world over that time period to quit. Sleep deprivation, food deprivation, you're ice cold, you're wet. You, it is a, a miserable existence. And the only reason people stay is because they'll never quit. And that's what they're looking for. Is they're looking for someone that says you are not going to beat me down. And what they do is instill in them a sense that you can do anything. And these are people, there are many times it's people that believe they can't be beaten that are beaten first. And many people that think that they can't win that find out that you can't beat them. 
And when you give people that sense of purpose, when you give them that sense of direction, they largely rise to the occasion. And when it comes to education, our kids will rise to the education when we demand excellence. So it's going from we want good schools. How about as parents, we demand excellence? Teachers can do it. School districts can do it. And your kids can do it. And some of these schools are proving it. I think it's terrific. In a moment, um, Florida wants to limit legal protection for the news media. Is this a good idea and why do they want to do it? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, this one, this, this one's a little tough for me. Uh, the state of Florida is talking uh, limit legal protection for the news media. Florida bill introduced last week would make it easier to successfully sue news media for defamation with several provisions that defy landmark Supreme Court rulings on the First Amendment rights. Um, we've seen countless examples in recent history of members of the journalism profession playing fast and loose with facts. I I don't believe the journalists have more special privilege to be protected against the harm they cause um, that when they act recklessly or negligently. So there's a few things that I had um, th- that have been going on that really caught my attention. Um, recently, we are hearing about uh, COVID-19 and its origins, and more and more people are starting to believe that now that federal agencies are investigating that this was a lab leak and it wasn't transferred from the wet markets and bats. But – If you go back and look at what happened, I just want you to hear uh, real quick. This is Jimmy Kimmel, not a journalist, but this is Jimmy Kimmel talking about what it was like before. It's also pushing U.S. intelligence to find evidence for this theory that the virus was accidentally released from a lab in Wuhan. That's his new angle to feed the wingnuts, uh, to treat this virus like it was a conspiracy of some kind. So that's Jimmy Kimmel. Joy Reid on MSNBC in a lab in Wuhan, China. And yet this week, Donald Trump is still pushing the debunked bunkum, despite his own intelligence community's findings that that is simply not true. All right. Uh, Casey Hunt, MSNBC. Ken, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is this question about the Wuhan lab. We know that it's been debunked that this virus was man-made or modified or anything like that. But as you've reported, the Intelligence Committee has been sort of paying attention to the question of whether it was an accident at a Chinese lab. So uh, the information a year or so ago, it was anybody that believed that it was from a lab was crazy. They were shut down. They were blocked. Misinformation. That's why this truth stuff is a little bit scary. But is any of the any of these people legally liable? Let's go to something else. This is where it gets a little bit tougher. Rupert Murdoch has testified that Fox commentators endorsed Trump's 2020 election lie, even though they knew that it was a lie. As a matter of fact, according to Rupert Murdoch, uh, Sean Hannity, and I got to tell you, uh, Sean's been good to me over the years. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be very honest about the things I talk about. Sean Hannity has been good to me over the years. He used to have me on his show quite often before I was ever in radio. I was a frequent guest on his radio show. Um, we've hung out when he's in town. I've gone to see him in his studio, and we've talked for a while. I would not call us close friends, but I am an acquaintance of Sean Hannity's. I've always respected Sean. Uh, they're saying here that Sean was the word 
word that Rupert Murdoch used was Rupert was disgusted, or I'm sorry, Sean was disgusted with Trump, and yet on his show they were concerned about losing viewers, so they did not want to go away from the theory that the election was stolen. The reason why that's important is right now they're being sued for almost $2 billion or well over a billion dollars by the Dominion Voting Machine Company for defamation. And they are going to get a huge settlement out of this. There's no doubt. When I talk to you about journalists, when I talk to you about journalism, I say to you very often, I work with the best in the business. And I would put the um, credibility of uh, anybody in this building that calls themselves that is a journalist and that I'm right next to the newsroom as we speak, these are people that want to get it right and they just are truth seekers. It isn't about anything else. Now, I understand when you're at a network, you've got to worry about ratings. You look at where CNN is right now. CNN is floundering and trying to figure out how to get their audience back. They had a credibility problem. What's going to happen at Fox News when their loyal base and they have a huge loyal base decides that they're going to turn away because they went away from what they believed was the truth to the narrative that their listeners wanted. That's the difference between an NBA game and the WWE. The WWE is an entertainment network where it's predetermined and the outcome is predetermined, and it isn't necessarily the truth, but it is what people want to see and hear. So they have this huge lawsuit against Fox News, for defamation for some of the things they that they are the Dominion is saying you knew these were lies and you told them anyway you've got emails and behind the scenes conversations within your network where all of you are saying this is all a big lie and yet you're going on TV and you're saying that it's the truth should they be held liable for that and if that's the case is Florida in the wrong for saying if you are someone in the media and you're touting something as gospel but you know that it's not should you be held liable for any damage you do Now, I believe that the media has to have protection. They will always have that protection. I think it's a cornerstone of what makes us a free society. Journalists have the freedom to criticize, but they also have an obligation to admit when they're wrong. Will we see Casey Hunt and Joy Reid and Jimmy Kimmel come out if it is proven, if the if the Biden administration comes up with proof that says there was a lab where this was leaked from, will they do their mea culpa? We've all been wrong before, but will they do it? Are we going to see Fox News settle this for huge amounts of money or are we going to see some of the people that have made a name for themselves by earning the trust of people over decades come out and say we shouldn't have done what we did? It's not easy for me to talk about. I'll be honest with you. You know, my connection with some of the people that have worked at Fox News, whether it's, uh, you know, Glenn Beck, who I think is one of the most honest people I've ever known. It's still something you got to talk about. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk about the visit to the border by our governor and what it all means.